Amen. What a wonderful day to be gathered with the family of God. Go to Mark chapter 5. We'll be there most of the time today. Mark chapter 5. God is doing something important, powerful, and I just want in on it. I just I want to be a church that's just in on whatever God's doing. I don't care what it is, because I know it's good. Uh, and what it means to be in on it, what it means to participate in it, is what I want to talk about today, um, and just activate some things inside our church. Uh, again, a couple last week we ended a week of jubilee, and if you're a guest this week or last week, might not know what that is, or maybe you're new here and and don't really know what that is. It was our week of celebration that we have. Uh, and part of that week of celebration is just listening to what God has to say and tuning in to a word from the Lord on how we receive direction for our church and where we need to put focus and how we need to pay attention in, in, in a more uh, focused kind of way. And one of the numerous things, and there was numerous things that I'm excited over the course of the year to unpack, one of the things that happened repeatedly is uh, this story from Mark chapter 5 uh, being mentioned numerous times. And so um, there's much here that probably we'll look at throughout the course of this year and uh, re- revisit and relook at uh, numerous times. But I want to hone in on just a couple things today uh, as a way of entering into our new year. This is a time of year where a lot of things are getting recalibrated and reset in many of our campuses, which, by the way, would you welcome our Sherman campus and our Chandler campus today? Thank you guys for joining in and participating and your hearts being open and ready to receive the word. Um, with school starting, that's always a reset in people's rhythms. Uh, it's, a, it's a time of calibration. If you don't have kids in school, Good for you. It's still, <laughs> it's great. Uh, pray, pray for those who, who do. And our, uh, we start school next week. And so uh, now's that time to, you know, uh, bring the bedtime back to its normal uh, time. And the kids that don't want to do that, we're, we're figuring that out, okay? So we're, we're on it. Um, but this is the time where we're recalibrating, just kind of in natural, uh, just kind of the way the year rolls out. But as a church, it's also a recalibration of our spiritual year that, that we're, we've, we've heard what the Lord is saying, and now it's time to begin unpacking those things little by little. And so there's just a couple things I want to focus in on today from Mark chapter 5, um, but it will be revisited um, we will be revisiting this because there's so many things in this, not just this story, but the stories that happened before it, the stories that happened after it. If you want to grow in how you understand the word, um, how you engage in scripture, anytime you're focusing in on one area, uh, that's great that the Lord will draw you to one area, but part of your growth and maturity is learning how to find what the context is and in that story, and especially, it's, it's everywhere in Scripture, but it is especially true in the Gospels, how each Gospel writer has crafted the narrative to show you things about Jesus. And it isn't just the individual stories, it's how they pile the stories onto one another. And Mark chapter 5 is no exception to that. But before I get in that, I want to just frame just one more thing that, that I... I'm coming into this year wanting to, to ensure that we hone in on 
And that's just an idea of simplicity. Um, and today, I just want to talk about simple faith. And um, one of the important verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that uh, the Apostle Paul, in his oversight, and he's in a, he's in a challenging time with this church in Corinth, and he's, he's pretty upset, but he's trying not to be frustrated. And I, I love you get to see a real human side of the Apostle Paul. Like sometimes these heroes of scripture, you you don't always see their human side, which is one of the things I love about scripture because scripture has no problem telling you all the faults of its heroes. I love it. There's, 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 There's almost, outside of Jesus, there's like two people that get out unscathed. <laughs> everybody else, every one of your heroes, uh, it shows exactly the, the ups and downs of humanity, how we can be really awesome and trust the Lord and things work out great and then how stupid we can be right in the next chapter. So that's what I love about scripture. And, um, you know, but the apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians is one of those things, one of those times where this church had gotten real pompous, um, and uh, they they were really impressed with people that he sarcastically called super apostles. Um, in our day, we put things in air quotes, you know, to to emphasize how stupid it is. Um, but he, you can see, even in this context, he calls them. I, why, why should I even try to compare myself to your super apostles? Um, but uh, part of what he's, he's laboring over them in true, true heartfelt labor as an overseer, as an apostle, he says that I fear, I fear for you that as the serpent deceived Eve, this is talking about the garden, that, that Eve was deceived. I fear that somehow that just as the serpent deceived Eve, so your minds, the way you think is being corrupted away from something, that we need a rooted system centrally located as what? Simplicity, the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And so you, you, can, you can grow and mature in your understanding, in your knowledge of the word. And I am a big fan of having a depth of understanding when it comes to how we engage in scripture, how we know the Lord, the Lord is, I mean, incomprehensible. We'll spend an eternity growing in our understanding and learning of who the Lord is and what he's done and the work of Christ Jesus. And I, I, I want to have a robust theological framework for what we believe and why we believe it. It's really important that you're able to defend your faith in such a way that you give why you believe what you believe. I'm all a big fan of that. But there's one thing you don't leave in order to grow in your depth of understanding. You don't leave simplicity in Christ. And, and we, we have to be vigilant at maintaining that kind of simplicity because we, we're, we're a church that engages in the word of God with depth. I believe that and, and will consistently be that. We believe in the power of the word of God to bring transformation. Our words don't, don't bring transformation. If they're of the flesh, what, what brings transformation into your life is the word of God revealed in King Jesus and then how we see that inherently through his scriptures. And we can grow in our maturity and our understanding, our wisdom, our knowledge, uh, our scriptural literacy. I do, do believe that we need to become more literate in the scriptures. Uh, it's to our detriment that our culture has an illiteracy of scripture. Um, that, that generally speaking, you know, not 
50, 60 years ago, there was a general understanding of scripture, lost or saved. People just had a general framework. They had a general understanding of some of the key stories. When you say, you could say things like, well, everybody's heard of Abraham or everybody's heard of Moses. And that's no longer true. That, that people don't know that. And so it's, it's difficult as someone who was raised in the scriptures that like it's hard to imagine not knowing many of these stories, but yet there's many people here today that there's so many things in scripture you really don't know. So it's important as a church that we, we're, we're repeating things and it's okay to repeat things. The apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, hey, I, I don't mind at all repeating myself to you. And I'm like, good for you, Paul, because it's kind of annoying for me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like, I never liked it when my parents had to repeat themselves. It's like, oh, you assume I'm stupid. Okay. So I struggle with that sometimes, but we need to be able to repeat things and tell the same stories because there's always more that all of us can grow in. But again, in our growing in biblical literacy and our awareness of scripture, our knowledge of the word of God, our intimacy with the Lord Jesus, you don't leave the simplicity of Jesus. And it's important that we keep circling around what that means and what it means to just simply believe Jesus. I think this is one of the great stories. Again, it was repeated numerous times during Jubilee. It's one, one part of this story is something that the Lord, one of the most uh, powerful times the Lord spoke to me was through this story. And so I wanna just look at a couple things, at least on two layers. But what I wanna do, which I don't often do, and I think I can do it, <laughs> is read the whole story. And it's about 22, 23 verses. Uh, and then we'll just reflect on it, okay? So, um, by the way, this is what church used to be. The, 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 the epistles, they were meant to be read aloud for the whole church all at one time. So, strap in. <laughs> Mark chapter five. Uh, you don't have to, and you don't have to do it this week, but Mark has layered these uh, stories all the way through his gospel, but these kinds of stories are built on what he said in ch specifically chapter four, the parable of the ground and the seed, uh, the sower, the seed, and the ground. And then he layers a couple stories on top of that, and this is the third or fourth story that comes from that. Verse 21 and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter, hold that just in your mind, daughter, is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? 
And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you? (laughs) And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Bold move. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. I love Jesus. He strictly charged that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, there's numerous things in this whole story. Um, there's a lot here, and I want to keep it pretty simple. The one thing I want you to see, both uh, the first layer of just in the natural healing, the kind of posture that we as followers of Jesus should be vigilant to maintain, keeping it simple, is a posture of helpless dependence. That's everything. Like I could close in prayer. Like if, if we actually got that, that this is how we're to live in helpless dependence. It isn't to say that you are helpless all the time in every way. It's to say that we are helpless to really do anything of the Lord. We're helpless in accomplishing anything. The more we understand the foundation of our life is complete and utter dependence on Jesus, the stronger our life gets. The stronger that foundation, the stronger the life built on that foundation is. And that foundation is just simply, Jesus is everything and I'm completely dependent upon him. He's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the life. He's the one that has the grace necessary for me to do anything. And this is what it is to live in the kingdom. If we want to live in the kingdom, but without the king, that's us living by principle. And it's not that principles are wrong or bad. It's that when we try to live by principle alone, live in the kingdom without the king, we are maintaining our own godship. Like we, we consider ourselves God. The principles are manipulation techniques that we can twist life around our community. I just do these three steps and I will get the result that I want. That's still me being God. That's depending on me or depending on these steps or principles. And that kind of manipulation, 
I've heard it said that's witchcraft. Trying to live in the kingdom without the king is idolatry at best, at worst, witchcraft. And so as big a fan as I am of keeping things simple, making things uh, in orderly fashion, step one, step two, step three, principle one, principle two, principle three, none of that will get you anywhere without the king. And something that was said uh, Wednesday night of Jubilee, I re-listened to both the services and the word that was given specifically from this, um, is that, that a word over our church is that we're to be a house of healing. A house of healing, a house of prayer, a house of healing, house of wholeness. Thing, things and people being made whole. Uh, even things said cancer-free zone. Um, I, believe, I believe strongly that we're to enter into a time where the people of God operate with such mental health that it's a drastic contrast to the epidemic of the, the unhealth that is in people's minds in the world. And to do that requires helpless dependency on Jesus. You and I don't have the power to do anything. We really don't. Um, everything good that we've experienced, we can lay at the feet of Jesus. It's because of his goodness. Every healing we've encountered and we believe in healing, it's because of Jesus. We're not that awesome. Um, it's just simple faith in Jesus. And what you see from both of these central figures in this story is just a complete dependence on Jesus. I see that he has the power. I believe that if I can connect with him, his power will come to me. His power will, will, will flow into my need. Not that we're trying to use Jesus to get something. We want to know Jesus. And if you know him, you get all that he gives. You could think of it sometimes a metaphor that we're not necessarily pursuing the hand of the Lord, we're pursuing the face of the Lord. And if you get his face, you'll get his hands. We're pursuing the healer, not healing. We're pursuing the giver, not the gift. And that's, that's the kind of church we have, to, we have to be vigilant and committed to be, especially if what is the word of the Lord over our church actually comes to pass. It's great when not a lot is happening. Numerous things are happening. But, you know, when report after report of stage four cancer getting healed come in, it would not be hard to start getting our eyes off of Jesus and onto the spectacular. That we're constantly begging for more rather than just pursuing the face of Jesus. And we're at our best when we're at this kind of desperation for Jesus. Like that's really, humility is the currency of the kingdom. And the more dependent upon Jesus, the more we recognize how much we can't depend on ourselves. That's maturity. Maturity is is not getting less and less dependent on Jesus. Maturity is a greater recognition of how much more you need Jesus. It, you're not, you don't come to a place of maturity where you're so mature in Christ, you no longer need grace. 
Dallas Willard would say that mature saints blow through grace or use grace as much as a space shuttle uses jet fuel to get out of the atmosphere. The tank doesn't get smaller of grace the more mature you get. The tank grows. It has to expand because you recognize more and more. And the more, the more capacity you have in life, the more dependent upon Jesus we must become. All of our relationships, the more relationships you have, the more dependent on the Lord you must be, whether it be spouse or children or parents or um, your neighborhood. The more, the more relationships you have, the more dependent upon Jesus, that you, the more money you have, the more dependent on Jesus. You think that it's when you're broke that you have your dependency on Jesus. I hope that you have it there too. But this is why the scripture warns not of money, but the dangers behind money, the love of money. So it's actually a greater dependence. You get more wealth and we're believing for insane amount of wealth to be flooding through the stewardship of your hands. And it will do you no good for you to get your eyes off Jesus the moment you get whatever you've been believing for, however amount that is. If that gets your eyes off Jesus, it would, be, it would not be love for Jesus to give it to you. This is, this is just, you know, we never leave this point. We're just completely dependent upon Jesus. But... That helpless dependence, it doesn't mean that, oh, how do I say this? Helpless dependence doesn't mean you don't have some kind of agency in this. Um, if, if you look at what Jesus says to the woman, so, if, so back in that story, um, she's afraid. And if, you, and if you just, let's pause the Jairus part of the story first. Uh, and, and hone in on the woman with the issue of blood. So she has this issue for 12 years. And this specific issue, uh, a flow of blood, very specifically in the law, makes her unclean. Okay, no time to talk about this, but, but life is in the blood. Okay, that's what scripture talks about. Life is in the blood. And the way the law was structured around clean and unclean and uh, pure and impure was around being in the position of life giver. And so when the blood would be shed, uh, it would be, it, it, life is in the blood. And so um, at, during a, a woman's cycle, during uh, after childbirth, that flow of blood is, is you can't be in the position of life giver and come into the presence of the life giver. So, so you have to be cleansed from that to be able to come into the presence of the life giver. You have to be clean. Okay, there's, there's a lot to that, that that summary probably did not do it justice. But um, the clean and unclean can be very confusing in scripture. And it just has to do with if you, are, if you either take the position of life giver or you have a residue of death, you can't be in the presence of pure life and carry death with you. So that's why touching a dead body would make you unclean because you're carrying death into the presence of life. So you have to get clean to be in the presence of life so that life doesn't kill you. <laughs> okay, if that, if that made sense, we're just gonna keep moving on. If it didn't, I don't know, 
If you can read Leviticus, you should get it, right? <laughs> okay, so, so this particular disease, a flow of blood, would have made her unclean. And in the law, anything and anyone you touch also becomes unclean. And she had been unclean for 12 years. So she's not allowed to go to the temple. You're forbidden from the temple. She couldn't have been in community. If she was married, we don't know, um, you weren't allowed to have intercourse during any flow of blood. That was just part of the, the way the law was structured about clean and unclean. Uh, so if she was married, there would have been no intimacy or reproduction for 12 years. And again, anything she, like, like the way the law is written is that like the seat a woman sits in becomes unclean. The bowl she touches becomes unclean. The table she, like, think about everything she touches becomes unclean. And if she might've been of means at some point in time, but all of those means had been spent on doctors. And it says she hadn't got any better. She got worse. But in some way, in this point of at the very bottom, 12 years, this is desperation. She hears in some way that Jesus is powerful enough to heal. So she's heard some stories and the way Mark has structured his gospel, there's numerous stories laid on, on top of one another about healing that Jesus obviously is powerful and can heal. And so she, she, she has this plan, but you can see she's afraid. Why? She's not allowed to go into the crowd because everyone she touches becomes unclean. But her fear is less now than her desperation. She allowed her desperation and what Jesus calls faith to be greater than her fear of the consequences. And so somehow she nurtures that faith to have the courage to do that. And it, I just love it. Jesus accidentally heals somebody. Power is just so readily available in him that it just leaks. But obviously, someone had to make a draw on it because numerous people had touched him, but there wasn't a draw on the power. And this is what Jesus says to her. Once kind of cat's out of the bag, she recognizes it and she's willing to even face the consequences now that she's healed. She's even willing to face the consequences of breaking the law. And what Jesus does is pretty powerful. It's pretty, and it's also multi-layered. First, he calls her daughter, which is a big deal. He hasn't called anyone daughter up to this point. He's only called one other person's son. And just a couple chapters earlier, this is the way Marcus structured his gospel. Just a couple chapters earlier, at the end of chapter three, you have Jesus's mother and brothers trying, basically thinking he's crazy and they're trying to control him. And so they don't just come to visit him. They come to basically negotiate with him to just stop. And at the end of chapter three, Jesus basically says, so someone says, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus, he's, 
with people, he, it says he looks around and he goes, who is my mother or brothers or sisters? That's offensive to his mother. But Jesus does not care about being offensive. He cares about truth and redefining reality according to the kingdom of God. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, for anyone who does the will of God, they are my brothers and sisters and mothers. So he redefines family that greater than blood is alignment to God's will. And he confers family status on this lawbreaker. Do you hear the implications of that? Daughter. So he reminds her of her identity. In this healing, receiving healing is great. Identity is better. And she got both. Daughter. Remember who you are. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now, it isn't that her faith healed her, okay? So the way that sentence structure, it could, it could, you could miss this. Mark is very clear in verse 30 that it was Jesus's power that healed her, okay? But faith brings a draw. It appropriates, it receives what grace has provided, Grace, God's grace provides it, in this case, healing. God's grace provides healing, but it's provided for anyone. But who receives it? Those who by faith appropriate it. So faith, her faith made a draw on Jesus's power. When other people had touched him and bumped into him, maybe even, quote, rubbed shoulders with him, but didn't get power. Who received power? The one who made a draw on it by faith. It obviously wasn't her worthiness, but her desperation put her in a place of faith to receive what Jesus has provided. And that's enough. Getting things straight, figuring it out, but it, it's like, keep it simple. What Jesus has done for us is enough. Now, what we do is believe. We trust. We believe. We just simply believe. And then you think about the, but what abouts? Well, let me show you. Go to chapter six real quick. Verse one, I'm just gonna read quickly the first six verses these, remember, these, these stories are all stacked on one another for a reason. He, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Remember the context, he's in his hometown, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown 
and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He could do no mighty work. And then verse six, and he marveled at their unbelief. He was shocked, surprised, overwhelmed by their unbelief. And the only cure for that is he went about teaching, not performing more miracles to show off, but to teach them the word, get their dependence on something higher than their personal perspective of him. Think about it. What limited the power of the son of God? Not the son of God. Not his love, not his own power. Again, just the, chat, the story before, power leaked out of him. He didn't even know it. Just took someone to make a draw on it. How could he come to a place where he could do no mighty work? Unbelief. And one of the things that led to their unbelief? Offense. They took offense at him. Now, there's other things that can lead to unbelief, things like murmuring and complaining, things like gossip and strife. We'll just keep the list that short. <laughs> Save that for another message, or I'm more prepared to make you mad. <laughs> but look at that. So, 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 so you, you, probably all of us have stories of disappointment. I prayed, I believed in whatever the it is. It didn't happen. And many times we get offended at God or offended at people who received, but you didn't. Especially offended at people who you know are less worthy than you and got what they prayed for. That's offensive. And what does it do? It hardens the heart. It fosters unbelief and it limits the power of God. What, what can limit the unlimited power of God? Think about it. It's limitless, but apparently he allows it to be limited. Why? Because he's entrusted us with stewardship. And now, post-cross and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit, we're to be in the, in the, in the place and in position of representing Jesus Power should be leaking out of us. I'm not there yet. I mean, I've laid my hands on people and they, and they have been healed. I've laid my hands on people and they got sicker. So I'm working on it too. But I, but I can tell you what hasn't happened is someone grabbed my coat and I'm like, power, where did that go? I've not accidentally healed somebody yet. I'll get there. I'll get there. I, helpless dependence, simple faith. But I mean, it's like, you get there too. But what we have to, we have to get to a place of making a draw on the power of God by faith and addressing the unbelief that we struggle with. You don't need more faith. You need to eradicate ruthlessly unbelief. And that unbelief comes in all sorts of ways. I probably just need to circle back here. 
Well, I said I would, so I will. Because there's so much more here. I'm only drawing out just, just one. Um, back to his words. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your, your faith has drawn on his power and that has healed you. And he says, go in peace. That's a Greek word, irene, which is the New Testament Greek word for the Old Testament Hebrew word, shalom. Peace doesn't mean go and feel good. It means a wholeness that has been given you. That there's a wholeness that what this uncleanness, what this sickness has drained you of life and energy and money, go in peace. Your life is made whole. Your life is made whole by this encounter with Jesus. And then be healed of your disease is, is a way of saying your suffering is over. Your, your, your suffering is no more. This is the kind of draw we have to have and be vigilant. It might not happen instantaneously. Whatever we're praying for and believing for, it might not happen instantaneously. It might not happen quickly. This is something, again, from this story, I'll probably just have to pick up on this next week. Um, but right after this, Jesus slows down. I just, man, just the, just the juxtaposition of these stories is incredible. She is an unclean lawbreaker. And Jesus stands in the position of priest when he says, go in peace. That's the position of priest, okay? Which according to Levitical law, he's not in the position to do. So he, we later theology appeals to a higher priesthood anyway. But he's, he's in the position of priest, says, go in peace. Your suffering is no more. And condones her breaking the law. Like apparently there's a desperation of connecting with him that supersedes her breaking the law. Man, that's a lot. Like, I'm not advocating break the law. I'm advocating desperation for Jesus. Okay. And again, just because I feel like probably needs to be said, uh, like Jesus doesn't have a problem with medicine as the way Jim said it last Wednesday. He has a problem with being second. Medicine's fine. It's probably part of the process in many people's lives. He does have a problem being second. Um. But <laughs> who was the original person who made a draw on him? A ruler of a synagogue who's heavily invested into the social order of the temple. Okay, so apparently Jesus both loves that person and wants to work with them and minister to them, but also the person, the, the one who has nothing to do with any of that. Is unclean. Nobody in nowhere. Okay. Maybe I'm just not being clear on that. Well, we'll have to look at Jesus' words to Jairus next actually shaped the whole story. When he heals this woman, and then while he's having this conversation, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace be free from your disease or be free from your suffering. He says, while he was still speaking, people from Jairus' house came and says, she's already dead. 
Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus, overhearing this, says to Jairus, just ignores everybody else, looks him in the eye, and some of the most powerful words to me, do not fear, only believe. That's the key. Only believe. Yeah, but what about you're, you're putting something on top of faith and it's not going to work. Yeah, but I've tried that. It, you're putting something on. You're not believing only. You're trying to believe and you're also allowing unbelief. You're trying to believe and you're giving place to unbelief. And you don't need like bigger, bigger, bigger faith. You need to eradicate unbelief. Uh, and these, word, these words were, those exact words was some of the most powerful words I've ever heard the Lord say to me directly um, in, in the worst of circumstances. And maybe I'll have that story next week. But what I want to just put forward for us as a church, for us to walk in all that God has for us, because there's also another layer of this story that I wanted to hit that we'll, we'll just have to hit next week, um, which is seeing this also prophetically as a picture of the church, um, this whole story. But all I want to just drive across uh, to us today is how we as a church, this isn't just for a few of us, it's not for leadership, all of us have to come to a place of such pure singular focus that our faith is just simply helpless dependence on Jesus. And we be vigilant at eradicating unbelief, not being mean to people who are struggling with unbelief. Maybe I should repeat that. <laughs> In the name of faith, people get weird, okay? They get pretentious and self-righteous. Stop it. <laughs> In the name of eradicating unbelief, you don't need to wave a self-righteous finger and you're lining unbelief in your heart. It, like, shut up, okay? <laughs> you didn't receive because you didn't believe enough. I just, we're gonna be a mature church. Jesus never, he never chastised people struggling. The only people he really got onto is his disciples. It was the quote unquote mature ones that he got on top of, not the struggling ones. So as we're all growing in this, we need to show some compassion and mercy to one another as we're growing. But it's important that we learn such helpless dependence that our faith gets activated to make a draw on the power of God. So when we believe for healing, God wills to heal everyone of everything, every time. That's not just a platitude. It's not just a catchy phrase that we don't really believe, but it sounds good because we're faith people and it's supposed to say that. We actually believe it. And then all the little things that's the, but what abouts? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not gonna let what I don't know or what I don't understand keep me from that desperation to cling to the feet of Jesus, to cling to his garments, to cling to his presence, to cling to his power. And, and maybe I'm just, I don't know. This is part of the reason why I want to talk about mental health is I, I think that there's a, a, a fairly large portion of mental health, not all of it, but a fairly large portion of the struggle in mental health is actually just a, a struggle with mental discipline. 
We've just lost our discipline to control our thoughts. Some of it is demonically imposed on us, and we need to deal with that. Some of it is genuine struggle, but a lot of it for a lot of people is just the lack of mental discipline. We try to entertain thoughts of faith, and then we entertain thoughts of doubt. And if we can get down to that kind of root system and stay vigilantly focused on Jesus and then all the disappointment, all the struggles, all the, 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 the emotional toll that sometimes that can take, we rejoice with them that rejoice, we weep with them that weep, and we keep believing Jesus. We keep believing Jesus. We keep being grateful for who he is and what he's done. 